1973, when the Supreme Court of the United States uh, determined that abortion would be legalized in the United States, and that allowed the states to determine what they do with abortion. How many know that did not change God's mind about life? How many know the Supreme Court of the United States and their laws are not God's laws? They should be God's laws, but you know what? God has a purpose and a plan for human life. How many know God's placed a premium on human life? An unborn baby is just as much a human as a born baby. Is that right? Uh, In fact, this is a shocking stat. Abortion uh, is the leading cause of death in the United States. Is that a shock to you? Uh, It it, uh, eclipses cancer, heart disease, or anything like that. One in four women in their lifetime in the United States will have an abortion. Uh, There are 500, and I got this from a Love Life Stats, uh, 500, and it's on the... uh, little folder you can get when you exit the room. 500 abortion centers in the United States have no consistent Christian witness. How many know this is the front line of the demonic attack against the United States of America? Anything that undermines the family is undermining our nation. How many hear me? And if we stand aside and be silent about the number, one of the number one problems in our country, how many know we're not, we're not doing what we need to do before God? Yes or no? Uh, Justin Reeder, the founder of Love Life, said a child in the womb is of the same value in God's life, God's eyes as a, child, a child outside the womb. So, you know, the, the bottom line of this problem we have with um, abortion in the United States back in the 50s and 60s, I'm a child of the 50s. I was born in 1958 and then went to elementary school and, and uh, such uh, started in the 60s. But there was, a, there was a cultural shift and a cultural revolution in the United States of America and the, and the, and the sexual uh, morals of our nation began to decline in a tremendous way during that time. And that precipitated the 1973 uh, decision by the Supreme Court, which has cost over 63 million babies their lives. And as I was thinking about this, you remember when Cain, back in Genesis chapter 4, Cain slew Abel, and Abel's blood cried out from the ground. Think about the blood of all these unborn babies that are crying out to God for vengeance. And uh, wow, it's it's a big deal, and we need to talk about it. We need to be real about it as Christians. You know, I think the stat I read was uh, 54% of those who have abortions say they're Christians. That's a sh- is that a shock to you? That's a shock to me. Wow. So, uh, again, abortion is generally as a result, not always, but generally the results of sex taking out of the framework of marriage and the sexual indiscretions of our culture. How many know that God is life? In fact, John 5, 26, Jesus said this, the Father has life in himself and has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. You think about the God of the universe, how great thou art, thou art, we sang today. You know, God in and of himself is absolute light, absolute love, but yet, on the other hand, also absolute life. And there's something in God's heart. He likes to create life. So that's the reason he created perhaps the universe. That's the reason he created 
uh, our solar system. That's the reason he created planet Earth and gave it the seasons and the years and such so that it would be a place where human life could inhabit. And God created life because God is life. John 1, 4 Uh, Jesus said in him, or John said, in him was life, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. And you can see in abortion or anything that takes a human life, that seeks to mar human life, it's marring that which God created, and it's coming against the very fabric of humankind. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. I'm come that you might have what? life and have it abundantly. We were praying this morning in the back and I was reminded over and over while I was praying in the Spirit, Psalm 68, verse 6, God set the solitary in families. He brings out those who were bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Abortion is an attack against the human family. Did you hear what I'm saying? And the sexual immorality of our age is actually a, a demonic attack against the structure that makes any nation great, and that structure is the family. The family as defined by a, a male, a male husband and a female wife who bear offspring called male and female. Is there something wrong with saying that today? Do I need to feel funny for saying that? Somebody's trying to hijack the narrative uh, across the entire world. How many hear me? And I think it's called, uh, I uh, I think his name is called Lucifer. Do you hear what I'm saying? So my encouragement to you, let me, and I'm off, I'm already off my notes, but uh, let me encourage you again, if you're a grandparent, if you're a parent, If you have children that are in public school, do several things. If you can, pull them out. If you can't, you need to go to the meetings where the teachers meet with the students and the students' parents. You need to go to the uh, board meetings where they decide what they do in the curriculum that is being shared and stated and stand up and be bold about what you think and you believe and what you believe and why because there is a, a desire for the dissolution of the family unit in the United States of America. When we stop valuing marriage, when we stop valuing mothers and fathers, you know, male and female, we're on a road that you cannot recover from. We will be destroyed as, as, a, as a culture. How many hear me? So I've got eight points about life and uh, about abortion I want to share with you real quickly this morning. Everybody Okay. Number one, I can get through this fairly quickly. So uh, number one, human life is created for companionship with God. How many already knew that? Let's go back over it again. Genesis 1, 26, 27. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Uh, they will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. We are the only part of creation specifically created to fellowship with God. Your dog doesn't pray over his dog food, nor your cat over the cat food, your fish, your bird, or whatever animal you may have. They don't have a conception or a perception of God, but you do because you're created as a spirit being in the image of God. How many hear me? 
And don't forget Genesis 2-7 records again what happened when God scooped dirt together, formed the human body from clay, just the soil of the earth were carbon-based creatures. But he did something when he created Adam and Eve that he didn't do when he created animal life, when he created plant life. When God created human life, God did something special. And this is what separates us from the animal kingdom and the vegetable kingdom. God, from that clay that he scooped, it says he bent down over it and breathed into Adam, man's nostrils, the breath of life, and man became a living being. What did he do? God put a spirit. The Bible says there is a spirit in man. John 4, Jesus talking to the woman at the well of Samaria. God is a spirit. He's a spirit being and we are spirit beings made in the image of God. We have a conscience. Our conscience is the voice of our human spirit. And I'm doing some podcasts the last several weeks about the conscience and how it's seeking to be torn down in our culture and the importance of guarding your conscience. Again, the conscience is the voice of the human spirit. Why do we value human life over animal life or plant life? They're not going to put you in prison for cutting a tree down, maybe, unless you violated some crazy law. They're not going to necessarily put you in prison for killing a dog or a cat or a bird, uh, etc. But why, why would you be arrested for for killing human life. What's the difference? We're made in the image of God. And that gives us extreme value. Yes or no? Number two, life begins at conception. Uh, you know, when sperm uh, meets egg, it's not just a, a blob of matter in the womb of a pregnant woman. Uh, it's a life given by God. There are two views, uh, you know, if you think a little bit, two views when, when conception occurs. And uh, when sperm meets egg, two views on how actually the spirit person enters a human being. There is creationism. Everybody say creationism. And this other one's a strange word you've probably never heard, traducianism. One believes that the moment the sperm hits the egg, God from heaven sends the spirit. That's creationism. Traducianism, however, is perhaps a bit more practical. It means that God created the apparatus that creates life. And when sperm meets egg in the, in the womb of a woman, that just naturally speaking, because God set it in motion, the spirit is automatically created, much like God doesn't have to go to every tree, every bush, every flower and put the seeds there. No, he planted the seed within the, within, the, within the framework of the plant, right? And so, you know, plants naturally give seeds, which naturally, uh, you know, the next season, you know, the seeds bloom, yada, yada, yada. And so it is with life. That's traducianism. So whichever you believe, life is very, very precious to God. And because life is precious to God, because human life is precious to God, one of the Ten Commandments is, the King James Bible says, thou shalt not kill. Other translations actually are more accurate. Thou shalt not murder. Literally, you shall do no murder. And so murder is, uh, is um, something that we know we should, we should not do. So let me say a couple of things about murder. Killing and murder are two different things. A person that's a police officer and in the line of duty protects others from someone that's seeking to mar or, or end their life may have to kill someone. 
in, in discharge of their duty, that's killing, that's not murder, and there's a difference, and God understands that. Yes or no? Or if you've been in the armed forces, you've been on the front line, bullets are whizzing by your head, and you have to answer the enemy with, with open fire, and you kill the enemy, that is killing, that is not murder. How many hear me? So a lot of people, you know, they come to Christianity and they come to spiritual things that's taught in the Bible and they seem confused about that. Understand that God does not like premeditated murder, stands against it, and it's one of the things that will keep you out of heaven. How many hear me? Killing someone on the battlefield won't keep you out of heaven. Killing someone in the line of discharging your duty as a police officer or a public servant, you know, charged with protecting someone's life and you have to end someone's life to protect a bunch of others, that is not, that is not murder, that's killing and that won't necessarily keep you out of heaven. How many here? But murder can keep you out of heaven. Psalm 139, life is valuable uh, to God. It begins at conception. Psalm 139, 13, you made all delicate inner parts of my body, the psalmist says, and knit me together in my mother's womb. Verse 14, Psalm 139, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me, watch, as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, God is watching us form, you know, one cell, two cells, four cells, eight, 16, 24, 30, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, again, uh, God watches us as we are formed. He said in verse 16, you saw me before I was born. The me after I was born is the same me God saw in the womb. So those who have the argument, well, a, a baby is not considered human until it's b- born, that is absolute, utter fallacy and stupidity and ignorance. And you can put any other adjective you want to on it, right? Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They're outnum- they outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Isn't that incredible? So God knew the days of our life. It's, it's, it's a lot to think about. When I was a kid, I was raised in church, and I would hear these themes in church. And I would often sit back and think, just think. I don't know why. Nobody told me to do it. I would think about, I would think about in eternity, God thinking about me and thinking about my life, and thinking about my mother becoming pregnant with me, and the fact that God had already mapped out a purpose and plan for my life before I was even conceived. In fact, God said to Jeremiah the prophet, verses 4 and 5, Jeremiah 1, the Lord gave me this message. Uh, Jeremiah says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet's to the nation. That's incredible to think about it. And then you think about little babies who um, can't even breathe a, a, a breath of air into their lungs this side of heaven because they've been aborted by their mother. I've got a book, and I, I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago somewhere to somebody. might have been here. I talked so much I can't remember who, where I said what I said. You, hopefully you won't have that problem, but I do sometimes. Uh, in 1854, a, a girl named Marietta Davis. Did I talk about this one Sunday? Anyway, a girl named Marietta Davis uh, 
went into a, a, a coma or trance, and uh, she stayed there for nine days. Gordon Lindsay, who is the um, Gordon Lindsay, is the uh, uh, founder of Christ for the Nations Bible Institute in Dallas, Texas. He uh, he actually edited a book that talked about her experience. It's really difficult to read. She came out of that coma, trance, whatever it was, and her 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 speaking had changed and. It's actually a difficult because it's written in her own words and so a stenographer wrote down what she said, but she went to heaven and an angel took her on a visit to various parts of heaven and then she went to hell. And, uh, and then here's the thing that sticks out to me was one of the chapters of the book was, is entitled Infant Paradise. And she said the angel took her uh, to a part of heaven where little babies that do not do not make it to birth. They're either aborted or there's a natural abortion. Sometimes the body does because whatever, something's not right physically. So there's little babies that are not allowed to grow up on earth. There's a special place in heaven. And she said, when she, the angel took her there, said it's called infant paradise. And it was amazing. I've read that chapter so many times. And then, you know, ladies that I've known who have had stillborns or others who have had abortions, I, I let them, re, I, I say, go get the book and read that chapter entitled Infant Paradise. And here's the thing that got me. She said, those little babies that aren't, that are not educated on earth, don't grow up on, on earth in a family. They're nurtured by the angels of God. And they're special angels created to take those babies from that little small, small, small form and help them to grow, help them to be nurtured, and then they develop. They learn what they would learn on earth. They learn about the Savior. And one of the things that uh, she brought out in the book was they're taught, they're taught the truths of redemption. They're taught, they're taught the value of humanity and on and on and on and on. It was really insightful to me. And I thought about it a lot after I read the book of how special life is to God and how special children are to God. How many hear me? Every life is born with a purpose from God. And if that life can't stay on earth and develop, there's a place in heaven where that little baby can develop. How many hear me? Number three, murder is prohibited by God. Now, we've already said that. I want to read it again. Since life begins at conception, since we're made in the image of God, abortion is murder, which is the taking of innocent life. Again, Exodus 20, verse 13, you must not murder. New Living Translation says, Genesis 9, listen to what it says, Genesis 9, 5, and 6, and I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. If anyone who murders a fellow human being must die, anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. So a person who devalues life and commits the murder of abortion, they actually have committed murder. And, and that is a sin against God. And it will keep a person from going to heaven. How many hear me? Today, we are in a culture where we're raised a certain way with certain values in the United States, which many now are ungodly. We used to be a Christian nation, but that has kind of melted away because our culture has changed, and, and we're drifting away from the Judeo-Christian heritage of the Ten Commandments that made us great. And so a lot of people, I, I've talked to people who, who don't think of abortion as murder, 
they think it's okay because they, we've, they've been raised in a culture that is away from God. How many hear me? But God sees life as valuable and God sees abortion as murder. Number four, when Israel, now this, I'm gonna take a little turn here. You ready for this one? When God, when Israel forsook God and worshiped idols, they sacrificed their children to the idol Molech. Now that's a really interesting one there. And abortion is a mimic, listen, of the historical idol worship of Molech. It's a child sacrificed literally to Molech. So let me talk about Molech real quickly before I read the scripture about it. Molech was an idol. You got Baal or Baal. You got Ishtar. You got Molech. Baal and Ishtar, and I'm getting a little ahead of my notes, but I think I need to. Baal and Ishtar were worshipped in history all throughout uh, the generations of time in various cultures all over the Middle East, all over the places in the world where humanity was forming and developing and large nations were being settled. There has been, there has been idol worship ever since, ever since uh, the biblical narrative, the, the Tower of Babel. That was actually an astrological tower where they worshiped the signs of the zodiac. And many Bible, um, Bible scholars believe that is the origin of heathen religions. And with the origin of heathen religions, that is the origin of the worship of idols in the human race. And every single idol that has ever been worshiped by any uh, pagan uh, in, in antiquity is worshiped with sexual immorality. You need to know that. You know, the, the strongest desire psychologists say in the human ra- uh, frame is the preservation of life. That's the reason you eat. That's the reason you clothe yourself. That's the reason you shelter yourself. You take care of yourself. God's innately put something in you that says, care for me. And know, oh, in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, if you don't have that, something's wrong with you. The second strongest desire psychologists even say in the human frame is sex, is for sex, is sexuality. And so look what Satan did when he invented the worship of himself via idolatry at the Tower of Babel and the ensuing uh, nations of the world over the panorama of time have worshipped these false gods. Look at how these false gods were worshipped. They were worshipped with the second strongest yearning in the human person, and that is for sex. They're worshipped with immoral sexuality, and that's the reason, and that's the reason that God kicked Israel out of, uh, out of the promised land that he promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they got into the land and then were kicked out during the Babylonian uh, uh, empire, by the Babylonian empire in 586 BC. Why were they kicked out? One of the reasons were they were involved in gross, rampant, idolatry with Baal and Ishtar worship, and they've got various names for these false gods, but all of them are involved in sexual promiscuity in the basis form. How many hear me? And then the idol that is a consort of theirs or a companion of theirs is the idol Molech, and Molech was an idol that had an animal head, and it was sitting on a chair, and it had arms out like this, and they would cause, when you read in the Old Testament, they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, that is, through the fires of Molech. They would put some creosote or something that would burn on the arms of the idol, and it would, it would light up in flames. And to, um, and to, here's why they did it. Their superstition was, if I'll sacrifice my child to Molech, 
I will be blessed by the pagan gods. I will be prosperous. My fields will grow. My animals will give birth and I'll become a very wealthy person. If I'll give one of my offspring away, then my life and my family will be blessed. So here's a woman in agony giving up her child. And I, you can even read this in history. Uh, even even um, uh, families that were childless they would go to the poor sections of town and they would buy a child from, from someone poor and pay them large sums of money so they could go to Molech, so they could take that little baby and pass it through the arms of the idol. And at the bottom, as they passed the baby through the arms of the idol, it would go out and they had a big fire created right at the base of the, of the idol. I know it's gross to talk about, but you need to hear this. And they would drop the baby into the fire and listen to this uh, so they wouldn't hear the screams and the cries of a little baby burning to death. I know it's awful. I see your faces. You know what they did? They hired musicians to sing and to play very loudly. So as they, so they worshiped the idol Molech with their kids being destroyed in the flame, they couldn't hear it and it wouldn't bear upon their conscience. My friends, that's a problem today. And so any person that gives, their, that gives themselves to abortion, they're worshiping that same demon spirit behind the idol Molech. Isn't it interesting? It's quiet in here. That's the same demon spirit involved today in abortion clinics. Luke 20, Leviticus 20, listen to this, 2 through 7, New Living Translation. Give the people of Israel these instructions which apply both to native Israelites and to the foreigners living in Israel. If any of them offer their children as a sacrifice to Molech, they must be put to death. Why is murder? I myself will turn against them and cut them off from the community because they have defiled my sanctuary, and brought shame on my holy name by offering their children to Molech. And if the people of the community ignore those who offer their children to Molech and refuse to execute them, watch, verse 5, I myself will turn against them and their families and cut them off from the community. This will happen to all who commit spiritual prostitution by worshiping Molech. I will also turn against those who commit spiritual prostitution by putting their trust in mediums or in those who consult with spirits of the dead. I will cut them off from the community. So set yourselves apart to be holy, for I'm the Lord your God. Question, could uh, it be that the challenges that we're facing today as a nation right now are due to God allowing us uh, Americans to reap the benefits of our own idolatry by the abortion industry that we have allowed in our 50 states. It's quiet. First Kings 11, 4 through 7. And so, listen to this. This is so sad. This is David's son. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Well, Ashtaroth, Baal, Ishtar, they're all the same God. It's all the same false pagan God. They were worshipped in sexual rituals, sexual orgies with adultery, fornication, with uh, 
with uh, homosexuality, lesbianism, women parading as men, men parading as women. You can read this in history. None of this stuff is new. Did you hear what I'm saying? Sex with children, sex with animals. It was an awful, awful, detestable evil in Israel that Solomon was involved in because he married the wrong woman or women. He got problems, right? You need to be careful on who you marry. If you're not married yet, make sure they want to walk with God. They want to do His will. Go check out their mama. Go check out their daddy. Solomon saw these women and he didn't check out their families and they came from families of idolaters and he became an idolater himself. If you're not married in the room today and you see this, this beautiful girl or this hunk of a guy and you think you got to have him and you don't know his family and that person doesn't know the Lord, that person, if you say you know the Lord and you marry somebody that doesn't, they could easily lead you away from God in a similar way that Solomon's wives led him away from God. Solomon had a sex problem. He had a sexual addiction. He had 700 wives and 300 slave girls he had sex with. That boy had problems, my friends, just like people have problems today. How many hear me? And see, then his, his wives led him away to the worship of Molech. It was a horrible, detestable thing. It's one of the reasons that God judged the Israelites and they were out of the land for 70 years and and eventually they were completely banished for their, from their land for 2,000 years. And, but you know, thank God for the mercy of God. They came back in Israel as a nation once again today. 1 Corinthians 10, 18, it says this, Consider Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idol is anything? But I say that the things which Gentiles sacrifice... They sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to have sacrifice, uh, fellowship with uh, demons. So again, there was idolatry in the first century there in Corinth where Paul was writing to the church there. And they were, they, there actually were pagan temples and they worshiped uh, uh, Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians and many others. And they're all the consorts of Ishtar and Baal and Molech and all that. And they were worshiped with sexual immorality. You need, you need to know that. And he said here very clearly, when you worship idols, you're worshiping demons. So my friends, any person who thinks an alternative to getting pregnant outside of marriage is to abort the baby, you're going to worship a demon. Now that's really strong to say that. But that's what the Bible alludes to. Does it or does it not? Again, here it is. Let me bear the point home. Abortion is a modern form of Molech worship, the same demon spirit that urged Israel to leave God and worship idols by sacrificing their children to Molech are the same demons that urge people to abort their children today. Don't forget Ephesians six ten. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verse 11, put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Verse 12 is classic. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So again, let me say this. Demon spirits infiltrate any nation that is given over to idolatry. And since abortion caters to the ancient god Molech, it opens, listen, a person, a family, and a nation to the infiltration 
of demon spirits. And what do they do? They seek to kill, till and steal, kill, and destroy. Why do you see the nation of the United States going down, down, down today? Could it not be that there is an air of judgment here because of what we've allowed with our laws? Now, let me tell you something. We can sit in the four walls of this church that ain't bothered me. There's a whole lot of people around you that it has. And question, what are we doing about it? If I don't vote or if I vote and I don't think about this, I'm a problem. I'm a problem in my culture, yes or no? Let me go further and say, if we don't stand against evil and stand up for what is right and verbalize now, now we got to verbalize. We got to talk about what is right. And you're talking to somebody and you know somebody that's thinking about doing something that is absolutely detestable and that will lead them to hell. How many know you have, a, you have the responsibility to say something to them? In fact, Ezekiel was very clear in Ezekiel chapter 3. God said to Ezekiel, if you don't go and warn the wicked of their wicked ways, I'm going to hold their blood in your hands. So see, we have, as believers for many, many years now, many decades now, many believers just sit, fold their hands, do nothing about any of these things and say, well, sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Our country is going to hell. Well, you know what? We're, we have a solution. We have an answer. His name is Jesus and there is forgiveness, and there is mercy, and we can turn the tide. How many hear me? In the United States, we've turned idolatry and the murder of the unborn into a money-making industry. And you know that's got to that's got to move every angel in heaven besides God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The love of money is the root of all evil, 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from true faith and pierced themselves with many sor- sorrows. And now, and now the abortion industry is a literal industry making untold billions of dollars every year. And now we use baby body parts and many of the things that we use, the cosmetics and other things that we use in everyday life, and it's an abomination to God. Huh? And you know what? God wants us to have a conscience about it and we need to pray for its end. Yes or no? I noted that, our, uh, that the um, uh, governor of our state yesterday vetoed a law that would confine abortion to the first 12 weeks of, um, of gestation. He, uh, he, uh, he's, he, he put a veto on it. We, uh, the Republicans have, and I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat, they have a super majority and he's begging some of them not to veto and not to over, override the veto. And uh, how many know we just need to pray for our, our state? How many know North Carolina is now known as a state that is an abortion haven? Does that make you happy? Are you excited about that? If you're excited about that, I say you don't know God. And that the enemy has a toehold in your thinking patterns. Number six, the backdrop of, everybody okay? The backdrop of abortion is immorality. I said that earlier, the misuse of sex. And so again, um, worshiping uh, idols and the immorality cost Israel its nation. I just wonder um, what the blatant immorality that we're allowing right now in the United States. I wonder what it's eventually going to cost us unless the tide is turned. Question, what is immorality costing you personally? It's a big question. Listen, I've been in ministry since 1981. You know, let's get real. Sex is fun. 
but it's only in the confines of marriage. And y'all, I have talked, you don't know how many people I've talked to, both men and women, old and young, who have been marred by the misuse of sex and sexuality, and they've paid the price in dozens of ways in their human frame and their human personality within themselves and their thoughts and their emotions and their children in their families. How many hear me? I'll tell you, um, we've made sex a tool for personal satisfaction. It's become a self-centered thing. And sex outside of marriage hurts the heart of God. First Corinthians 6, the Corinthians, uh, Corinth was a metropolitan city in the Middle East in the first century when Paul preached and taught. There were seaports on both sides of the town. So it was a cosmopolitan town in many ways in that uh, cultures from all over the world mixed into that one city of Corinth. And they, they brought their cultures and they also brought their false gods. And so temples were erected all over Corinth. So this was a known thing for anybody. You have sex for two reasons. You get married, you have sex for procreation, to have children, but you go to the temple and have sex for enjoyment. And, it, and Paul had to deal with that. And the Corinthians said, well, God, God you know, put the sex desire in the human frame. What's wrong with fulfilling it? And in 1 Corinthians 6, 13, you say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. So they were saying, well, you know, if I have a hunger, I have an appetite for hunger, I just save my hunger by eating. You know, I go to McDonald's and get me a Big Mac. I never would never do that. But that's what they were saying, so to speak. I get my favorite food and I ingest it. And so since, since hunger is sated uh, by eating, then God gave me a, desire, a drive for sex. So if I have a desire for sex, it's just natural, just like I uh, satisfy the food drive. I satisfy the sex drive the same way. And Paul said, no. So they said food was made for the stomach, the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. That is, the physical body will die. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. And, and he challenged what they were believing. They were made, our bodies were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. Verse 14, 1 Corinthians 6, and God raised uh, us from the dead by his power and just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize your bodies are actually the parts of Christ? Here were believers that still had some of those same habits they had before they knew Jesus. They would go to, the men would go to temples uh, for the prostitutes in the temples and frequent them. And he said, don't do it anymore. You did that maybe for years before you made Jesus Lord. Don't do it now. Listen, you may have habits in your own life that after you make Jesus Lord, you still participate in with your bodies, with your mind, with your emotions, in your relationships. And you know what? Jesus wants to him, Jesus wants to deliver you from those things. The apostle Paul said it's not supposed to be that way. Don't you know that when uh, should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never, verse 16. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, talking about in the temple, he becomes one body with her for the scriptures say, the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And the idea there is anything I would do with my body, Jesus participates with that. So anything I do with my body, I'm taking Jesus into that event. He said, don't take Jesus where he would never, ever be found. 
And then in verse 18, run from sexual sin. No other sin is so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize, he says, he further belabors the point. Don't you realize your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Since my body belongs to Jesus, since I belong to Jesus, I don't have the privilege of doing whatever I want to do with my body. It belongs to him. I could talk about that a long time. You know, I had a couple. I had a couple. This is years and years. Nobody would know who they are, but this is years and years ago. And uh, many, many years ago, uh, came to my office. And they were, you know, midlife or so, uh, in their mid-40s or later. And they sat in front of me and said, um, and the lady said, well, I'm pregnant. I said, well, congratulations. She said, no, you don't understand. And she pointed to her husband and said, he wants me to abort this baby. And she said, what do you say, pastor? And I said, I don't think your body belongs to you anymore. I think it belongs to Jesus. And if you're pregnant, have your baby. The good news is, that little baby is a grown man today. They didn't do it. See, the enemy will, will uh, deceive anybody into doing something they know is wrong for the sake of convenience. How many hear what I'm saying? There are a lot of people in Hollywood, in the media, who uh, talk about abortion as something that will set you free. No, the truth is it will bind you. It will bind your soul. It will bind your mind and emotions with untold guilt and such. They're saying, well, you don't have to, it takes a lot of money to raise a baby, takes a lot that you don't have, creates a lot of poverty when you have a baby out of wedlock. Well, stop having sex before you marry. The answer is not abortion, stop having sex, right? Let me use a common sense here. Number seven, now we'll get to the positive part. If you had an abortion, how many know there's mercy and forgiveness? If you repent, God forgives when you repent. So again, if you've had an abortion any time in your past, or maybe you're sitting here contemplating it and nobody knows, you know what? God has a boatload of mercy and grace like, uh, like um, Cameron said earlier. He has a boatload of mercy and grace for you. Is that true? And if you're the guy that participated in a lady seeking abortion, how many know that God has mercy on you if you'll repent? How many hear me? I love this, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Don't you realize those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Why do you say that? Because some people do. I can live any way I want to live, but I'm going to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. Those who indulge, he said, in sexual sins or who worship idols. See, again, he's talking about the prostitutes in the, in the pagan temple here who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheap people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. How many know the Bible is very plain? Some people preach the gospel as though you can live any old way, and you just get to go to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. There it is, very clearly. Verse 11, some of you, he said, were once like that, but... You were cleansed. Is that good news? You were made holy. Is that good news? You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So, so regardless of my past, regardless of your past, 
regardless of what you've been involved in, how many know there is mercy and forgiveness in God? And so the aged apostle John wrote the epistle of John, and he said in verse 8 of 1 John 1, if we claim that we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we've not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. And then the next part of this letter he wrote uh, to the church, my dear children, I'm writing this so that you will not sin, 1 John 2, 1. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate that could be translated lawyer, attorney. We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. And let me interject, he's never lost a case. He is Jesus Christ, the truly righteous one. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The good news is, I don't care where you've been, what you've done, how many times you've done it. If in mercy you go before God and say, God, I'm wrong, nothing right about me, nothing right about what I participated in, I'm just dead, stinking wrong, and I ask forgiveness. Did you know God will have mercy on you? So maybe you're a person here and nobody knows the abortions you've had, and maybe that, maybe that guilt is plaguing you. God will forgive. God will cleanse. Maybe you're the guy that was the participant God will forgive and God will cleanse. How many hear me? Well, maybe you've, you've been in immorality. Maybe you've been in pornography. Maybe you've been in uh, all kinds of sexual mess and you know you have. And maybe, maybe about everybody around you thinks you're just a wonderful person. I think that's fine for them to think you're wonderful, but God knows everything we are and he sees everything we do. Yes or no? The good news is if you're honest with God, that meant, you know, when, if we confess, that word confess, it actually means to agree with or say exactly the same thing that someone else is saying. That means if God says something I'm doing is sin, I mean, don't poo-poo it and act like it's okay. No, it's sin. Call it what it is. You know, God respects and appreciates honesty. How many hear me? In fact, number eight, here's my last point. Repentance opens the door for God's mercy and forgiveness when we sin. Here is, uh, here's here's uh, King David. And uh, he was supposed to be in battle, but he hung back in the spring of the year. And this beautiful woman named Bathsheba. And I've been in the Middle East. I've seen, I've been in, I've been in Africa, Upper Africa, and I've seen, you know, you, 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 you go up on top of the house and that's where you brush your teeth. I've seen people brushing their teeth and hanging out the laundry. I've never seen naked people, thank God. But David, I need to put that addendum in there. David got on top. David got on top of this building and here's this beautiful woman. And he, you know, he looked once, he looked twice and he just kept staring at her. He said, man, that woman's beautiful. I need to have her in my harem. Her, her husband was out in the battle. You know what he did? He brought her, uh, he brought, the, he had his, uh, his uh, people bring the beautiful woman back to him. He committed adultery with her. She got pregnant. You know, a month later, she says, I, 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 you know, I missed my period. Something's wrong. There's a problem. And he said, well, have your husband come and see me. And so he thought he could have her husband spend, his, her husband had been in battle for a long time. And, uh, you know, he was such an honorable guy. Uriah the Hittite, he came and uh, David said, hey, just go, uh, just go refresh yourself at home. 
And he wouldn't even go into his house. He'd slip at the gate. Happened several times. And finally, David told his men, make sure you put Uriah right in the heat of the battle. Make sure that he's put where the fighting is the fiercest because he's going to die today. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, Bathsheba, his wife, was brought in after he died. She, uh, she mourned his death. I need to tell the story a little bit for those that may not know. She mourned his death, and then she was brought into David's harem. She became one of David's wives. And uh, she was pregnant with David's child. The child was born, and the child was born sick unto death. And then the prophet Samuel came to David. And he, and he just gave him a few stories about people who had sheep and goats. And here's a guy who had one little sheep. He just had one, but his neighbor had bunches. But the neighbor wanted the one from the man that just had one little sheep. And the, and the um, prophet looked at David and said, uh, what would you do if that person who had lots of sheep stole the one from the one who just had one? Says, he needs to be put to death. And he said, you're the man. Now that was, that was almost a year after the sin had been committed. And David didn't expose his sin. The prophet did. I want you to see the mercy of God. Even though the prophet's the one that exposed David's sin. If the prophet had not come, David's sin may not have been exposed and it could have festered and brought something terrible to David's life. Instead, God had mercy on David by having the prophet point his finger in his face and tell him what he did wrong. And this is David's prayer of repentance. I've often read this to people. I've read this weeping with people who have sinned in terrible ways. Just don't know. And I've seen the mercy of God cleanse their mind, cleanse their conscience, cleanse their emotions from the ravages of what they've done wrong. And listen to it. It's so good. Just the first part. Psalm 51, have mercy upon me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, David says. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you. See, when you do wrong and hide it, it festers inside. How many hear me? I think the psychologist calls it cognitive dissonance. The, the, the inside doesn't agree with the outside. You're smiling on the outside, but you're crying inside. That's what sin does. You think you can hide your sin, but your sin cannot be hidden. It will expose itself in a thousand ways. And so David, his sin was exposed. He said, I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned, he said to God. I have done what is evil in your sight. You see, God has a lot of grace when you're honest with yourself first and you're honest with him. In my whole life, anytime I've ever missed the mark in any kind of sin, I've gone straight to God and said, God, I said that I did what I knew was wrong. That's sin. That's wrong. See, God respects that. He respected that in David. God can deal with that. But if you hide it, you can't help it. Did you hear me? So he said, against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment 
my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. So, so maybe you're here, and maybe there's abortion in your past, and it's just not a settled thing with you. I'm not going to point anybody out today. That's not the purpose of this. But I want you to know God, God will minister life to you. Maybe you're the male participant. And maybe it's plagued you all these years and you've hidden it. Listen, I've had people come to me and, and it's been decades previous in their life that they committed certain acts of sin and it haunted them every single day of their life. And I've had them bellow in my presence because I, won't, I, I don't say a word when somebody, I, I won't talk about it to anyone. And I've seen the mercy of God come. And it's, you know, it's, uh, it's just like a balloon that pops. It all just comes bursting out. And they weep and cry and repent. And all the pressure's relieved. I want you to know there's mercy with Jesus. Maybe you have a friend. Maybe you know somebody in your family that has uh, committed the murder of abortion. Pray for them that God will have mercy on them. If God gives you an opportunity, talk with them and share with them. Don't, don't denigrate them. Let them know that there's a, there's a, God abounds in grace. How many know a, God abounds in mercy? I have it in my heart. The Holy Spirit just tagged me again, so hang on. This is not in my notes, but I need to read this. Everybody okay? As I conclude this, I need to go to here, and I need to read this right here. Now let me get the right translation. And I think we're good. This is the last thing I'll read. Here it is. Verse 3 of Psalm 103, He forgives all my sins, heals all my disease. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Aren't you glad? Verse 11, for his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we're only dust. Aren't you glad that there's a God in heaven that is like that? He could be a mean, vindictive, angry person, but he's not that way at all. He loves us and cares deeply for us. 